Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, are you effing kidding me with JoJo from Juries? Well... Here we are in the wake of Trump's fourth indictment. 91 total charges now. And MAGA Republicans are out there saying that this is a sign that the country is in distress. Accountability for Donald Trump is to their minds bad. What will forever astound me about MAGA is just how many of them will vote against their own self-interest to support him. He is a rapist who bragged about grabbing women by the privates, said he wanted to date his own daughter, call women dogs. He said he wants a federal ban on abortion and women will vote for him anyway. He dodged the draft, attacked a POW, called fallen war heroes, suckers and losers, disparaged scores of generals, tried to gut the VA and will decimate it if given the chance. Veterans and members of the military will vote for him anyway. He wants to destroy public education, cut food stamps, Medicaid, housing assistance, and other welfare programs that millions of Americans rely on. The poor will vote for him anyway. He doesn't care about any of them. He doesn't want to help any of them. He would willingly hurt all of them, but they don't care because he hates who they hate. And sadly, that's all they think they need. And with that, let me tell you about my guest today. Victor Shi is a Gen Z speaker, writer, and organizer. He currently hosts the daily show On the Move with Victor Shi and co-hosts iGen Politics with Jill Weinbanks. He also serves as strategy director for Voters for Tomorrow. He's a writer for Resolute Square and is a rising senior at UCLA. Previously, Victor was elected as the youngest delegate for Joe Biden, organized on presidential, state, and local campaigns, and interned at the DNC and the White House. Victor has appeared on MSNBC, CNN, PBS, and has been published by CNN, USA Today, and the Chicago Tribune, and more. He's the best, and he gives me so much hope for the future. This conversation was so enlightening, so encouraging, and so entertaining, and I really, really hope you enjoy Welcome to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast, Victor Shi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an exciting time to be with you, and I admire you so much. So thank you for having me on your show. Oh my gosh. Well, that is an incredible compliment. I um I'm very, very lucky to consider you a friend. I mean, like a social media friend, but a friend, you know, because we've talked a, a, a number of times. And um I'm constantly in awe of you. You're kind of like the Energizer Bunny. You just never <laughs> seem to run out of energy. Um, I don't, it's just amazing because I could go on and on and on about all the things you do. You have your own podcast, which we could talk about at the end. You interviewed like 
Beto O'Rourke. I think you, I mean, you have interviewed some of the most amazing heavy hitters out there. You're doing all of this. And what else is on your plate? You're in school. Are you, you're right. So you're yes, telling us a little yes. bit about that. Yes, I'm going to be a senior um, at UCLA, which I'm actually currently at. I'm in L.A. for a conference this week, um, but I'll be a senior next year, which is really sad because I love college and, um, you know, it's it's great to be with your friends all the time. But, to be able to, but you know, I'm excited to also work one day. So it's it's the best of both worlds, I guess. So it's bittersweet, um, but I will be going to my senior year of college this year. My kids are in L.A. as we speak. I, I love L.A. Oh. Um, I, I love to visit L.A., I should say. <laughs> Especially during the winter. It's a nice escape. That's true. That is true. So you manage all of this while also attending UCLA. How do you find the time and the energy? How do you do it? So I actually think being in L.A. is a great location. I I, I was talking about this with some of my friends the other day who asked me, you know, how do I balance everything? And I told them that being in L.A. is nice because, you know, you wake up a little bit earlier, maybe like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., which is early. But after about 6 or 7 p.m., basically there's no news for the rest of the day. So, um, you know, if you're on Eastern time, which a lot of politics is on Eastern time, after 6 or 7 p.m. Pacific time, I'm basically done with my day and I get to live a semi-normal life other than the occasions where, you know, there's an election or the State of the Union. But um, for the most part, it's pretty nice to balance here uh, on the West Coast. And so I try to do that. But also Google Calendar is great, having a list of things, um, just trying to stay as organized as I can be, especially during this chaos. Yeah, and it's amazing how you do it. And I never really thought about the upside to being on the West Coast in that way, because, you know, here, <laughs> news is hitting it, you know, on a full yes, summer, basically. Like, I was up at, I don't know, 11 o'clock last night. <laughs> um, I mean, I see your tweets news. all the time. I don't know how you how you do it from the morning to the night. I mean, it's it's impressive. Um, it's a bit of an addiction, but <laughs> um, basically the way I describe it is that I, because I'm a mom, I'm a full-time mom, and that's what that is my 1,000% focus, but not this particular week because I happen to be in Los Angeles, but generally speaking, um, I'm doing all of my life stuff, sometimes while also tweeting, which is kind of funny. I'm like, I always been wow. all on my phone. Like I always <laughs> have an, an ear and eye on the news, you know, see what's breaking. Yeah, yeah. These days, you just never, never, never know is always something. Um, so I, I was going to start with, let's start with here. Yeah. And then I was going to maybe touch on the Trump stuff to get your t sort of take on it. But I think we'll actually add that towards the end um, to get sure. sort of a general overview of like the Gen Z take on all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but I want to start with, um, again, I could go on and on about your advocacy, but what I want to know really is the origin story of mm. how you ended up on this journey. How was there something? Was there one catalyst? Was there something in your life or your background? What was it that sort of set you on this path, this political government interest advocacy path? Yeah, so I tell my story because I, I I think it's really important for people to know that the people around you make such a critical difference. And for me, that person was my eighth grade social studies teacher. I was in eighth grade. I really didn't have any understanding or experience in politics. And we were um, sitting, we were all sitting in the classroom um, two weeks before the 2016 Iowa caucus. So it was, you know, at the time, Donald Trump on the Republican side, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton on the other side. And my eighth grade social studies teacher basically said, you know, as young people, you all can make a difference. She lectured us about the political spectrum, you know, what both sides believe in. And then she ended with that one message. And I felt really hopeful and inspired that she told us that, you know, as young people, we can really make a difference in our democracy. And I wanted to do something more than just, you know, play video games and be in my room all day. And so I, I just went to my local congressional office and I um, started knocking on doors for Congressman Brad Schneider. And um, that was really the start of my political journey. And I couldn't have asked for a better start because I think 
being an eighth grade or soon to be freshman in high school, being able to learn how to talk to people with opposing viewpoints, learning how to deal with different personalities, sometimes hostile, hostile personalities, you know, and uh, especially if you're a Democrat dealing with um, a heavy Republican district, you can come across really different personalities. And so for me to be able to be an organizer and knock on doors and make phone calls was such a great experience. And then um, I continued that throughout high school and then got involved um, on the Biden side and, and now uh, have kind of, um, it's surreal to think about kind of where I started and kind of how far I've come. But it's just, I think it all starts with someone in your life who just tells you about what's going on. And that can really be the catalyst of something really tremendous and, and, and powerful. Yeah, I mean, and definitely a shout out to your social studies teacher. Thank yes. you. Thank you for having that conversation. Thank you for instilling that in, in Victor in particular, because <laughs> we all get to benefit now, um, not only from, you know, your advocacy and your fight and your voice, but also you you touched on something that is so interesting about you in particular, especially these days, given how divided every thing is and everyone is and how difficult it is to have conversations with people with opposing viewpoints. And I know it's difficult for me and I'm much older than you. Um, I'm not as adept at doing that, but you are incredibly skilled at having very civil conversations that are fact-based, not hair on fire, not demeaning, not insulting. Those kinds of conversations that other people can't seem to have, you can have them very adeptly and successfully with people who have absolutely nothing to do, nothing in common with you, literally, politically, but you're still good. You're on Fox, you're on other channels. How do you do that? What would you say that you cut your teeth, obviously, as early as eighth grade, but what are some of the things that you have at the back of your mind when you're going into a conversation like that? Well, I think you nailed on, on the head and I think you do it also really tremendously. But for me, it's always sticking to facts. And I think, um, you know, we're living in this, like you said, we're living in this era where you have so much misinformation, disinformation, lies from the Republican side. And it often feels, at least to me, and, and it's gotten, you know, since 2016, even I, I it's gotten more, harder and harder to engage with people on just core issues. And that's sad to me because, you know, we, we need a functioning two-party system in our democracy. We need a party that believes in basic facts, that can engage with people on basic things like climate change. I mean, we all live in a, in a time when, you know, the, the weather is getting worse, where climate's getting hotter and hotter, where we're seeing natural disasters. We all live in a time when no matter how um, you know, where you go to school, what your background is, you unfortunately have to live with the reality of lockdown drills. There are certain things that bind us together as a nation. And I think that those are the things that I try to really channel in our conversations, no matter how much we may disagree with politically, it's finding those sort of touching points and those connection um, points where you can talk to someone and, and really kind of have that shared experience. And I think that becomes a much easier pivot to then harder topics and, and more nuanced and complex topics. But I think starting from a place of humanity and shared values is really important for me. And then really facts and 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 really not letting, um, you know, what they hear on Fox or on other right-wing sources um, consume them and, and let them misguide them. But I think really at the end of the day, sticking to facts and starting from a place of civility and humanity. And I know um, the group that you're with, Red, White, and Blue, you guys always talk about this, which I think has been such a great model for myself and so many organizers, which is relational organizing, starting from a place of one-on-one, -on -one, you know, genuine connection, and then going into politics. I think that really does make a huge difference. Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, you're absolutely right. And that is something that at Red Wine and Blue, we stress all the time. And we often talk about, you know, reaching out to the people in your life, because you're, you know, you're a trusted resource, a trusted source for them. And sharing those things that we have in common um, really is a is a bridge towards those bigger, more important, dif more difficult, heavier lift conversations. Um, I think that 
We are, again, very much mired in a time period where um, people are so siloed that they are not willing to sort of even explore those things that connect us, those human yeah. things that connect us, because they're so consumed by the outrage machine that it's really hard to sift through all of that. But right. once, yeah, and the other side of that outrage machine, like the, the, the manufacturing source so many times that we're seeing right now, particularly on the Republican side is is getting back to what you were saying about facts and what we're seeing in this sort of sustained dismantlement of fact and this attack on facts, uh, whether it's science in terms of climate change or democracy, election, you know, Donald Trump, Republicans, et cetera, et cetera, the culture war stuff. But there's also there's just this undermining of facts that is so uh decaying in terms of what society looks like can you talk about that a little bit more yeah and i think it's so important to put this into perspective i host another podcast with jill line banks who comes from the water Bay era and she always talks about this which is to me such a stark reality or difference in reality um in, in just 60 years basically um 60 years ago during the watergate um proceedings there were only three networks and those three networks stuck up such to the facts. I mean, you could disagree on policy outcomes, but they at least agreed that Nixon, you know, committed crimes. They agreed on the fact that Nixon wasn't a great president, that he broke into the Democratic Convention headquarters and, and did a cover up. And the country agreed for the most part. But I think with all of these different now ecosystems, media ecosystems, you have Fox News, you have Breitbart, you have OAN. I mean, you have so many outlets where you can consume information. And you also have, you know, People who on Twitter, for instance, I mean, now you don't need to be verified and you can have a really large platform and people will just trust you because you're verified. And I think those guardrails that kept people in line that promoted facts back then are just all sort of gone. And I think that's what's sort of so dangerous now. It's not only that, though, it's also you have Republicans now who really know better, who still say lies, who tell their supporters lie after lie after lie. And what happens after that is that supporters believe them. And, and I think Republicans have been so good about that messaging part of it, which is they're able to take things that are so meaningless and turn it into something that produces outrage and fear and you know, paranoia. And that is what I think seeps into the American electorate. But the, the challenge for all of us and why I'm so grateful for your voice is really pushing back against that and using facts as our main vehicle to do so and saying, look, these are this is what's happening right now. And you, know, you just have to spell it out in clear terms and expose them for what they're trying to do. But I think the more we can get people to do that, I think the more, the bigger difference it will. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
Yeah, I could not agree more, obviously. And I think that is something that you and I absolutely share in common is that we know at the end of the day, we do have those facts in our corner and we have to continue to basically shout them from the rooftops because if we don't, people will be able to be, um, you know, they'll have their minds changed or they'll have their minds shaped. And, you know, it turns out to be Orwellian, right? It's like, are you going to believe your own lying eyes and ears or are you going to believe what we tell you? Um, You said, you mentioned social media and I maybe want to ask this question because your generation, unlike my generation, has grown up with a lot of social media sort of from a very young age. I don't actually know if, did your generation ever not have like social media in terms of from when you were little? Did these things, I think these platforms in some way, shape or form, maybe Facebook, I don't know, but um, at least MySpace was around, you know, back then, but it's 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 impossible to overstate the impact that social media has had on society particularly like generationally but i i'm curious about gen z your generation that i am definitely not but because you there's so much activity in terms of what you're doing and not just you i was reading that there was and you could probably well definitely know better than me there's some calculations that the 18 to 29 year old turnout in the 2022 midterms was the second highest youth voter turnout in nearly three decades. So I wanted to ask you, obviously, you're really you guys are very much involved. You are very much aware of what's happening. Is how much of that is as a, as a result of social media or or just why in general? Yeah, so I, I think um, social media has had such a big impact on this generation, and and you know you know this having children who are who are young, but it, you know I think the latest set I saw was that ninety eight percent of um, Gen Zers have at least one social media platform. That means that social media is a part of our identity. We literally use social media as a way to communicate with others. We use it as a way to you know channel our identity to 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 really put ourselves out there. And that's really powerful because you now have a generation that, you know, the the old ways of communicating, the old ways of reaching people, the old ways of campaigning are all sort of out the door with Gen Zers. I mean, you think of new campaigns and how campaigns are able to reach young people. It's through social media. I mean, I remember when when I was organizing on the 2016 um, campaign, the, the big way that you still reach people were still through retail politics was door knocking and phone calls. And that still very much exists. But in 2020 and 2022, the biggest driver for getting young people out there was either through digital organizing. So going into people's DMs and organizing that way or on social media through other platforms like Twitch and more unconventional platforms like Snapchat and YouTube. And that was a really important, I think, shift because it's ch- it's changing the entire ballgame of how young people consume information. It's changing the entire ballgame of how young people interact with politicians and candidates. And and I think that's really powerful. And, and for young people, you know, it's 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 so much more than just young people beyond social media. It's young people have this kind of literacy for social media that older generations don't. And that means that if you're a candidate running for office, there's a really clear chance that, you know, if you go on social media as a candidate, young people can see pretty clearly whether or not you are there authentically or not authentically. And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of Republicans be so frantic right now about going on social media and try to reach Gen Zers. Well, if you just go on social media and try to reach Gen Zers, that's not actually going to necessarily work. You have to p- deliver it authentically. You have to have things that will back up your claim. And that's what young people really have, I think, um, in their arsenal is, you know, being able to detect that that BS meter, I guess, on social media really well. Uh, but it's totally revolutionized, I think, the way we think about um, society, how we interact with each other, how candidates reach us. And I think that's only going to get more pronounced as, as we kind of go in the years to come. Yeah. And what do you think are some other of 
factors that sort of shaped yeah. this uh, in, engagement and involvement. I, I think about the pandemic, obviously, that's yeah. you know yeah. on my mind. Uh, right. Because you, what ages were, let's say, wh- how old were you in 2020? I was, oh, I was 17. Okay. So, so for you and a lot of people in your generations, tell me about what, maybe how the pandemic or other factors that have kind of shaped this involvement yeah. and engagement from your generation that is unlike others. I think the pandemic had a huge shift. You know, we were all locked down. We were all um, isolated from one another, one another. And so the the primary way that we reach people and that we communicate with people was through um, phones and through social media. And I think that really revolutionized how young people found connection, how young people found community, how young people found different spaces where we could be in, be with each other and, and be comfortable with each other. And I think that's really changed. But, you know, I think of something like the George Floyd protest. And, you know, there were many people who were on the streets. For, but, but for those people who weren't on the streets, you saw so many people take to social media and, and channel a level of activism that you never quite saw before. I had so many friends of mine who just posted a simple graphic on their social media posts. But that simple entry point into social into activism through social media is something that we've never seen before. And I think that was really pronounced during the whole George Floyd era, where you had people who would have never gone to the streets, who would have never taken action, just use social media and click the share button on their on their phone. And you know, some people might call that performative, but I think it's really powerful to get people aware of that. And that's what social media did, especially during the pandemic, is that it got people to become aware of these really complex, difficult issues. And it gave young people a really easy access point to make their voices heard. I mean, think about a young person who might just have 300, 400, 500 followers. Sure, that may not seem a lot, but those 300, 400, 500 followers see something on their story about systemic racism, about, you know, about climate change, about gun violence, and that can really make a big difference. And so that's where I think social media has really changed. And that's why I think the pandemic really changed that, because um, I don't think, you know, if it weren't for the pandemic, I don't think you would have seen that level of online engagement with really difficult and hard pressed and big social issues. And so I think the pandemic really did a lot. It's so fascinating because you think, obviously, it was this horrible, dark thing that is not not at all over, really over, over. Oh, no. I mean, right. But it, in so many ways, the, the ripple effects from it have, have led to changes for, for good, which is a weird thing to say about a pandemic. But but still, you know, that's that is the reality. And and it is absolutely fascinating to me because I love this idea of, you know, not everybody wanted to get out of the streets and protest. And and that's the thing about activism and advocacy. It's not one size fits all. Not everyone is, is built to knock on doors like you did. Not everyone is built to go out in the streets and protest. Some people, it is for them sharing something, sharing a petition, just amplifying yeah. something that other people may not have known about or seen. That is the, that That's a form of activism that, that suits them and fits into their life and what their comfort zone is. And sometimes they can stretch beyond that. But it, that first sort of toe in the water you know that should be something you feel pretty comfortable with yeah, and then you yeah. can sort of stretch yourself a little bit and then the next thing you know you're doing podcasts and <laughs> and you're at the white house you know what i mean so it's like it's 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 a fascinating um journey but i think that no one should feel intimidated into thinking that they need to go all at once all out uh, you know from the no, get-go no, no. Yeah. right you just share a click a, a link or something like that to start if that's what you're comfortable with and 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 that sort of tr- brings me to you know obviously now that we know we've talked about where sort of this engagement comes from what are the big issues that are really driving gen z to get engaged to get involved to use their voices right now 
Yeah. I mean, there are so many issues. And I think that's what makes this generation so unique is that there are so many different issues that are coming after us on basically all cylinders. But I would, if I had to name the top three, I would say reproductive rights are the first one, and especially after the fall of Dodds. I mean, seeing for so many young people, not just young girls, but also young boys as well, young, you know, people of, of all genders to see the Supreme Court take down just a basic right that we grew up with was totally, totally, I think, eye opening and and shocking to this generation, I think, sent shockwaves. And we saw that during the midterm elections, just the power that reproductive rights had in motivating this generation to turn out and vote. Um, the next issue is gun violence. And I think that's something I alluded to this in the past. No matter how old you are, no matter where you go to school, no matter what political party you identify with, this is unfortunately a generation that has had to grow up with mass shootings and with gun violence, uh, with, um, sorry, with lockdown drills um, during high schools and, and during colleges. And that's a scary reality. That's a reality that no one in their right mind would feel comfortable living in. And I think for young people to see you know, headlines showing that there's another mass shooting in a school or that, you know, young people are being gunned down, no matter where they seem to go, is just a reality that young people cannot stomach. And, and that's why you see so many of the gun violence movements, gun violence reform movements being led by young people, people like David Hogg, people on the streets who are in schools, who are students who have to grapple with this, this reality. And then I think the last thing is climate change. And that is, um, again, you're seeing it right now in summer. You know, I'm um, in L.A. where the, the temperatures are pretty hot. The other week I was in Dallas where it was even hotter. And, you know, this is something that we all have to deal with no matter what age we are, but especially young people who will have to grow up in this climate. And so, you know, all of these issues are things that we want action on, that we want people to you know really understand. And these are beyond just, I think, political issues, these are part of our core values. And that's where I think makes Generation Z even more unique is that these are things that we believe in deeply as a generation, more so than any other generation. That's where, you know, for the, when you see these far right politicians come after these rights, that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why it's so pernicious because it hits directly home to young people. And I think that's why you see so much of this outrage and backlash, but um, there are so many others I can list, but I think those three are overwhelmingly um, the ones that you're seeing as the top three in, in poll after poll. Yeah. And it's interesting because not only is there a tremendous amount of overlap in terms of, you know, what the top issues are for you, but they're the top issues for me as a, as a suburban 49 year old mom. And the reason yeah. for that gets back to what you said at the very top of this conversation, which is these are, they're not really political issues. These are hum humanity issues. These are issues that are, don't give a shit how you vote. Um, the, the climate, the planet, the earth doesn't care <laughs> if you, you have an R or a D next to your name, but also I just, this school shooting thing, I got chills listening to you talk because it impacts you and I differently, but both equally on that human level, because you are someone who had to walk through that as a reality, as a young person. And I'm mom who has to walk through that as a reality with children. And, um, when I was young, we had like drills for fires <laughs> and someone in you know kansas had drills for tornadoes now we have drills for things that are not um you know climate issues they're not i'm sorry they're not weather or natural disaster issues they're preventable catastrophes that we have sort of become so numb to and normalized so much as a part of our society when we actually could prevent them that instead of doing something about the instrument used to to cause this um to cause the shootings we're creating an entire ecosystem designed to react to a shooting as if it's just a foregone conclusion right. Right. that they'll be a part of our society. Um, but it, I mean, it's those yeah. it's those thoughts and prayers that 
I think everyone, whether you're a parent, whether you're a young person, we're sort of sick and tired of that. I mean, maybe it works once, but it's thoughts and prayers time and time again by the Republican Party. And it's like, okay, you can you know think and pray all you want, but you're still seeing this happen all across the country, actually do something about it. And that's the thing that I think people who are just everyday people, regular people who, who want to live a better life, that's what people want from their elected officials. They don't want just words. They want people who will actually make their lives better. But that's something that, that politicians for far too long have avoided. And I think that's why this election is going to be so important because I think for this generation, it's just, you know, if we don't act now, when will it get better? And so I, I, I really think, you know, voting is, is the most important option. But like you said, I mean, it's just time and time again, it's these empty promises that people are just done with. Yeah. And we've seen the numbers support, you know, that it's really much more widespread than it is contained to a political party when it comes to all of these issues. I mean, um, even reproductive rights, as we're seeing in states, um, you know, like uh, Kansas and, and Ohio right now, uh, that it, it is it does transcend sort of political affiliation and definitely with guns. I, I just think that, that, that these Republican leaders beholden to the NRA are not listening to the constituents because the American people pretty overwhelmingly do want responsible, reasonable gun control measures. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm going to pivot really quickly on the same sort of idea uh, because... I had a conversation with um, an independent voter in the state of Texas last night um, who said to me uh, that he his concern and and this is definitely pivots back to the gun control issue because um, the Biden administration has actually passed the first sort of meaningful, although it's not everything we wanted, but the first meaningful gun regulation legislation in more than a decade. But this independent voter in Texas last night said to me that his concern about the Democratic Party right now, and I can't wait to get your take on this, is that they're far too busy sort of putting out the constant Republican fires, right, and dealing with all of that, that they're not Mm. accomplishing any like of the progressive sort of wish list of things that the Democrats aren't getting anything done, they're not getting anything passed, which made, of course, I had to say, well, actually, that's not true. But the thing is, is the question I want to ask you, he's not hearing about the, you know, gun legislation or the 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 fact that Joe Biden has also passed an infrastructure bill or that he's he's passed legislation related to the climate, some of the biggest, if not the biggest legislation in our country's history on the issue of climate, marriage equality, et cetera. I want to ask you, 
What's the messaging problem? Why aren't these wins and accomplishments getting through to an independent voter in Texas? Yeah, so this is something I think a lot about as someone who is heavily involved in comms and who who I think is is you know, when you look at polling after polling after polling, one of the things that is most disturbing to me about kind of the state of our country is that you have about more than 60% of the American electorate saying that they can't even name one thing that the Biden administration has accomplished, which to you and me sounds crazy because we follow this stuff basically every single day. We see the historic things that this administration has accomplished, like you said, from infrastructure to improving broadband to gun reform to the Inflation Reduction Act, all of these things, our economy is stronger than ever before. You have all of these things that are happening so, um, I think, monumentally and historically under this administration, but people just aren't feeling it. And I think that's that's the, the challenge we have as Democrats. And that's where I think we really have to, to I, I think, think about how we approach um, messaging and communicating with people. First, I think there's a problem with traditional media. I, I don't think traditional media is doing a good enough job amplifying this president's um, accomplishments. You know, I'm not going to say that tr the Trump stuff is useless, but what's happening with Trump doesn't deserve, I think, nearly as much attention. I think people want to hear how this administration is benefiting in their lives. They want to hear how Vice President Harris, how President Biden is showing up in their communities, how they're responding to these far right attacks. That's what I think people really want to hear about. Still cover Trump and his indictments and all of that and still cover you know things that are happening on the right wing. But if you turn on cable news at any given moment, it's likely that it's going to be about Trump. And I think we really have to move beyond Trump. And, and and as a cable kind of news entity, as, you know, traditional media, I think that's where that responsibility is. They really have to start promoting Biden's accomplishments. But I think on the other hand, we just really have to go in our communities and have as many conversations as we have and promote what this administration is doing. It's, it's really, really difficult because, you know, it, it starts from a place of people not being aware. And it takes a lot to get people to become aware of what's happening. But I think the most important thing we can all do is using our platforms, using our voices, using the people who we know and telling them what's happening and then urging all of those people to tell their friends and, and, you know, making it so it doesn't just stop with, you know, one person. It always continues. And I think that's where you are going to hopefully start to see a little bit more uh, movement on that. But I think right now it's about really pointing what we've done and then coupling that with, you know, what's not happening on the other side. And I think presenting that choice, presenting that contrast is going to be really critical as we head into the 2024 election. But it has to start now. You know, it, it's going to take time for people to think about these issues. It's going, to, it's going to take time for people to talk to each other. But I think, you know, there's no better time than now to, to start doing that. Yeah, no, I, I could not agree with you more. And I also think that there's a way to have those conversations because we all know bad news travels faster than good news. Right, but right, but right. there was all you you tweeted something before we started the conversation about um the recession and yeah, um, yeah. which like so 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 this is a really easy on ramp to a conversation with mm -hmm. somebody like for me, like in my life, like somebody that I might see at the grocery store who's, you know, like been telling me for the last year that we're definitely going to have a recession and the economy is tanking and they saw it on the news or their friend was talking about it or they're talking about the price of eggs, blah, blah, blah. We now know that um, the <laughs> Biden administration and the Democrats have actually handled inflation better than basically almost any country equivalent to us in the world. We don't talk about that enough. So we can have a conversation about inflation and the price of eggs with our peers on sort of yeah. that's the on-ramp there. But the recession, we can actually say so tell us what you're tweeting because we can actually say actually as a matter of fact victor take it away what did you tweet <laughs> yeah so i mean there are so many indications right now and, and and you know these are big big banks now coming out and saying 
you know, we don't have to worry about our economy, that there is not going to be a recession. And it goes even beyond that. They're saying now GDP is higher than expected. Inflation is lower than expected. You have um, people like Jamie Dimon now, who's the head of JP Morgan now saying that we are, uh, that Bidenomics is working. Morgan Stanley has said that. And I think for so many, you know, these are banks where traditionally they really haven't promoted democratic economic policies. But for them to be able to say this, I think is a really, really important um, step. And I think, you know, for everyone, and you mentioned on-ramps, it can even be as small as, like you said, just asking your neighbor about the price of eggs, asking your neighbor about, you know, gas prices that have dropped and, and you know, connecting that to what this administration has done on an economic level and, and, and connecting, making that connection from their personal policy and uh, from their personal experiences to, you know, what's what's the result of that. And I think that's really, I think, an easy on-ramp. But, you know, what I tweeted this morning was just it's incredible the level of you know people who are now saying that Bidenomics is working, that you know our economy is strong, and it's not because of Republicans. I mean, Republicans really haven't done anything in the past few years to um, improve our economy. They've offered no tangible piece of economic policy since they won office in 2022. This has all been because of President Biden, his, his investment in America, his investment in clean energy and jobs and roads and basic infrastructure. And it's making a difference. And I think that's why you're starting to see um, the really strong, booming economy that we're seeing right now. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I, I, I... I've always been accused of being like a Biden stan. I I, like, I, I, had, I got my fair share of haters uh, uh, from Bernie's side, but but I think we're okay now. Um, I, he's the most consequential president. I mean, honestly, one of the most consequential presidents of my lifetime. And I I I I, I laugh sometimes because you just said all the things that he's trying to do and the things that he's actually accomplishing. And I'm sure you saw it, but Marjorie Taylor Greene got up at stage at CPAC or whatever the heck that one was. I forget. Turning point or whatever. One of those um, rallies. And and she read from a script that she had prepared and she had glasses on and she was very serious about it. She wanted to make sure she got her message right. That Joe Biden is trying to do things for the American people a la LBJ and FDR. He's trying to improve the urban issues and the rural issues oh and past infrastructure and healthcare. And she read those things off like a hit list of knocks against an enemy. And those are the things we're supposed to want from our elected yeah. officials, but for Republicans, <laughs> yes. right? So for Republicans, it's a, it, they're critical of those things. I mean, what? I mean, it's remarkable. And, and, you know, the day after, I think the Biden campaign released an ad literally using Marjorie Taylor Greene's words against her. I mean, it is it, it, I would have never thought that Marjorie Taylor Greene would would be featured in a Biden ad. But here we are. And, and you know, those are the things that people, regular people care about. But I think that also speaks to this Republican Party and their level of disconnect from ordinary people. I mean, you think about the, the issues that they're focused on in states like Florida, the things that, you know, the far right is focused on. It's really not normal. I mean, they're focusing on things like CRT and, you know, DEI and wokeness when most people don't care about that stuff. Most people care about, you know, what, what their rights. Most people care about the education they're receiving. They don't care about whether or not they're, you know, wokeness or some DEI training. Most people actually want that. Most people acknowledge the fact that we are living in a post-racial society where we're trying to move toward you know, less racism, we're trying to break down those barriers. It's just not a winning issue. But I think for so many Republicans, they're really showing how detached they are from reality. And I don't know what's going to bring them back on course, but it doesn't seem like they're learning their lesson anytime soon. And then you have Marjorie Taylor Greene and Republicans now attacking 
Biden for doing things that are vastly popular among the American people. Um, but, you know, if, if that continues to be the case, I say, bring it on. Right? I'm here for it. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Do things for the American people. Oh, no. um, but the well, reason they yeah. do all of that stuff with the woke and the DEI and the, the both upside to slavery nonsense is, is because they don't have platform or policy. They don't actually intend to govern. They don't want to govern. They just want to rule. And they, they're not running on anything but performative outrage, outrage manufacturing, outrage stoking, division stoking, you know, all of this like uh, gaslighting really. Um, and so issues like, you know, this attack on woke and all of that is really just sort of a boogeyman CRT, which we all know isn't being taught to kindergartners. They're not going to the bathroom in litter boxes in school. No one wants them to identify as furries. That's not a thing. But they're doing all of that as a distraction from the fact that you just said it. They don't want to or and they don't certainly offer anything but that and they don't want us to know unless they're going to frame it in a negative connotation which was very sloppily sloppily done and unsuccessful yeah. that the biden administration and democrats are the complete and total antithesis of that they want to distract us from that and they they want the shiny object to be this i'm scared because my kids are learning right. about you know earthworms it can be both a male or female it's like yeah that's called science um <laughs> but if ron DeSantis says it then it's really scary um so yeah but uh, we're gonna wrap up the last question is kind of looking forward um yeah. Yeah. So, so, so how can we engage more young people, you know, your age and younger, what are the kinds of ways that they can have an on-ramp to this sort of discussion and advocacy and concern and engagement? I think it goes back to the very first question you asked me, which is um, individual people just talking to individual people, having those one-on-one -on -one conversations with young people. I think oftentimes people think about creating big change. People think about, you know, big federal policies. But I think, you know, making a difference in your community, giving young people the empowerment to say, look, I mean, I don't have to think about what's happening in D.C. All I have to think about is, you know, my community, what's happening in my district, what's happening in my school. And that level of granular kind of micro level change is so, I think, oftentimes lost in our political conversation. I think it's 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 it takes only one person to, I think, inspire change. And so I think, you know, if you're a mom out there, if you have, you know, children out there, if you have grandchildren, be involved, stay informed, give them the resources to register to vote, to, um, you know, go to their ballot box, to early vote, give them those resources that, you know, one conversation can really change so much. And then at the same time, couple that with Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
think about your voice on that local level, it matters far, far more. And so getting young people to think about, I think, local change and how they can get involved on a small level, on a local scale, I think goes a long way. But it starts with one person, one conversation, um, and really just one voice. And I think that gives all of us hopefully hope that we can make a difference and that we don't have to you know, have a massive following. We don't have to have a huge platform. It really just takes one conversation that can really, I think, lead to ripple waves. Yeah, you give me so much hope all the time. I mean, I've told you this a million trillion times that my kids are 13 and 10 and my son's favorite subject is social studies right now. He is an honor social studies in eighth grade, which I'm so psyched for because it's so important to me. He was like, mom, I knew the speaker of the house's name. And he's like, I guess when you talk, I actually (laughs) hear you sometimes. I don't know. But yeah, so uh, you give me so much hope and there's so much overlap in what you said about getting involved sort of granularly because the the foundation really is what everything else rests upon. And so if we let the, the, the foundation crumble then then there's nothing up here so school right. boards and your all that stuff you know it's all incredibly if not like you said even more important than the stuff at the top um where you might not be able to impact as much change but so i love that i think that we share that mission um we can tell that to everybody out there like you can just start small start at your like in your school start you know at your library whatever it takes you don't have to go right at donald trump <laughs> um so that is the message I love ending the meat of the conversation on while yep. my neighbor gets very yep. busy with his song. <laughs> and we head into I need us, I need a sound for this. I'm gonna have to talk to my, my friend Casey about adding a sound effect for my rapid sound effects. Yeah, yeah. Rap, yeah, we need to segue with the rapid uh rapid fire random question round that I end every conversation with. It's my favorite part of the, the podcast because it is really just human issues. This is not political. Yeah, so yeah. if you, even if you hate both of us, you might you know find something entertaining in what we, <laughs> Victor answers and what I reveal in terms of Victor's answers. So you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Okay, we go pretty fast with these. Um, okay, what, if anything, is a food most people seem to like, but you don't? Um, I love candy corn. <laughs> I do. <laughs> During Halloween season, um, a lot of people have strong opinions on candy corn. And they say, you know, it tastes like wax or that it's too sweet. And I really like it. I don't know. I, I, I like the, I like the, you know, traditional candy corn. I also like the pumpkin ones. <laughs> I, yeah. I also am a huge fan of anything sweet. And I, you know, think candy corn, I will admit is pure sugar, which is maybe why I like it. So, uh, yeah. you know, um, I don't know how, how many people are going to turn on me. That I, <laughs> Your follower that. count just dropped by like, you know, way down. yeah, well, Molly Jong Fast also has confessed to liking candy corn and that people love trolling her about that because she also loves peeps, which I don't love peeps, but I, I share love your peeps. love for candy corn. Okay. Yeah, I, I even it. eat it in the colors sometimes. Like I like <laughs> yes, would, yes. one color at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And you would think you fatigue on candy corn after a while. Your mouth's like kind of oh. like tired of it. No, no. Uh-uh. It's weird. Okay. <laughs> well, we share that. I will not judge you. It is not like putting ketchup on eggs and you people know who you are out there. Yeah. And I'm not even yeah. gonna ask you about that because I don't want to ruin our friendship. So we won't <laughs> yes. talk about that. Okay. Question two, this is a little bit more intricate, so you're going to have to either just think off the top of your head or like instincts. Okay. If you could invite any three people from history to dinner, who would you choose? Ooh. They don't have to be dead. (laughs) So I just finished watching Oppenheimer and Robert Oppenheimer is such, I mean, it was such a powerful movie and hearing his story and the level of, um, you know, as a scientist, the level of political attacks that he went through and, and the things that he agreed to do but and then you know his work was manipulated by the government i mean it was just such a good movie and i would love to learn more about oppenheimer um 
I would love to be with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, someone who, I you know, being a woman at the time that she was in and, you know, what it was like being the only woman in so many different contexts and how she dealt with that and how she dealt with men. And I mean, that was such a inspiring for anyone who's seen um, that documentary. It's incredible. Um, the last person, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Oh my gosh. That's a, that's a real, maybe Michelle Obama or something. Um, Michelle Obama is, you know, I think everyone's inspiration, everyone's hero. Um, but I would say those three are, are sort of top of mind right now. No, those are excellent answers. I, I haven't seen all the I saw Barbie. So I oh, you saw Barbie. Okay. I can see the rest of the Barbenheimer. You didn't do, um, the, you didn't do the Barbenheimer. No, uh, no, uh, marathon. no, no. Confessedly, I went with five 13 year old boys and two 10 year old girls to see Barbie. So I was like, definitely not able to stretch my capacity for children or anything any longer <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but i love the barbie movie but oppenheimer is the one i really want to see like i really 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 want to see it and what an incredible cast um yeah. oh my gosh for sure yeah my my three are um bobby kennedy because i want to ask him about bobby kennedy jr right um, right take on all this craziness that's going on there uh, plus I was I just um, I was always obsessed with the Kennedy legacy everything and and Bobby was the one that really captured my uh, sort of curiosity more than any other I would just love to sort of talk to him and and see you know his insight on all the things that are happening now but particularly with RFK Jr um and so Abe Lincoln would be there for me uh I think that that would be an incredible conversation. I'm um, just, you oh, know, party. right. So that's what yeah, I want. Yeah. That's what I would want to talk to him about. Like, what have they done to your party? Like, this is yeah. crazy. And Donald Trump says, and arguably he's not wrong that he's more powerful than the party than Abe Lincoln was. And in many ways, it's like, wow, he's not exactly wrong. Like in terms of cult worship, he's really wrong there. And then um, Hillary Clinton would be my third because I just want to talk yeah. to her about how, how, what happened on that walk in the woods? Where did your uh, mind go? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how are you living your best life now? And what are your thoughts on how this all came around in terms of karma and justice? Yes. Like I, I posted a clip the other day and I will get to the third question, I promise. But I posted a clip the other day from the third debate where Donald Trump not only says he basically refuses to accept, he basically essentially refused to accept the results of the election if he loses, but layers in there why her mishandling of classified documents, classified information was disqualifying. Yes, yes. He gave us a roadmap right. on what he awesome. was going to do. Yeah. Chills. You can't make it up. But yeah, no, Hillary's legendary. I, I, it would be, I would be my dream to meet her as well. I mean, let's manifest it. Let's, let's, Hillary, if you're listening to this podcast or if someone knows Hillary, connect JoJo and, and meet with her. And it, and honestly, if, if the ship is sailed on the JoJo Hillary convo, you know that if anybody's going to get to meet her and get a conversation with her, get an interview with her, it's going to be you. And well, no, if that happens, I'll invite you to be my, okay. my, uh, we'll interview her together. <laughs> I don't know if I would actually be able to do it or if I would just be like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, but, but I believe Hillary, we're manifesting this. We, yeah. Hillary's people, <laughs> she. Um, okay, last question. If that happens, I'm just, let, I'm just letting you know that it would be like, mm, crazy, but not at all surprising if you get it because you should. You deserve it. I mean, my God, you deserve it. And you have an incredible platform that reaches so many people who are so involved and it makes me so happy. And so, Hillary, seriously. Okay, last question and then we will end. What is one thing on your bucket list? Ooh, um, 
I really want to skydive. I don't know. I've been feeling really um, edgy and, and bold and adventurous recently. Maybe it's the LA that's changing me because I'm originally from Chicago. And so there are not many opportunities to actually kind of get out in the wilderness and, and you know, the outdoors that much because of the winter. But I really want to skydive. I don't know. It seems so fun and so thrilling and exhilarating and slightly terrifying at the same time. Um, so maybe maybe my senior year, I'll do a skydiving trip uh, in L.A. I have the most amazing idea for you right now. You yep. need to do a podcast of you, Hillary, and Michelle Obama going <laughs> skydiving together. Oh <laughs> I'm telling you, you can interview <laughs> them on the way down. This is like Donald Trump thought he was like the ratings guy, the guru for ratings. No, <laughs> right here. This is the new thing. <laughs> for ratings. No, right here. This is the new thing. Okay. Okay. Skydiving with Victor. It's like driving, like, like what's his name in the car? It's like, oh no. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's a carpool karaoke, but yes. it's like, you know, skydiving. Next level. <laughs> skydiving conversations it. with Victor. I love that. I'm telling you, we are going to sell this and we're going to change the world one jump from an airplane one. at a time. Yes. <laughs> okay. How much you can get in, in you know, that amount of feet uh, descending. <laughs> you guys will have to jump from Mars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really substantive conversation, yeah, which exactly. changes the calculus a little bit, but then we might need bit. Elon Musk and then we can't have Elon Musk. So it's no, a whole no. other conversation. Right. Um, um, I feel like mine is very dumb now. I want my bucket list thing is to travel to Lebanon because that's where my dad was born and I, my grandmother was sent to when she was, was like 13 to marry an adult man to have kids and craziness but that's where I that was my bucket list I would not jump out of an airplane I used to think I wanted to when I was young like you and then I got old and I can't even cross my legs because it hurts too much so with that said and that sounded really weird so my trolls are gonna love that she can't cross her legs um <laughs> it's true okay well <laughs> Victor uh tell everybody what you're up to where they can find you all that good stuff yeah so I mean I'm on Twitter, or I guess now it's called X. Um, so I'm on there. I'm on threads at Victor Shoe 2020, same as Instagram. Um, and I co-host a podcast every Wednesday with Joe Wine Banks called iGen Politics and um, a daily show called On the Move with uh, Victor Shi And Joe has been so kind, not only to be able to be on the show as a guest, but also she guest hosted once with the amazing um, Ron, I think it was Ron, um, what's his last name? I can never pronounce it. Yeah. Pass. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. And um, that's where you can follow me. Awesome. And, and your podcast is amazing. Like I said, he gets the best guests. I'm honestly, oh. it's like, I do not, I would not even be the slightest bit surprised if Hillary's like, oh, okay. Sure. That. <laughs> Maybe not so much from an airplane, but I mean, I, I, I'm going to end it just saying again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You give me so much hope. You inspire me. You, you make me feel really, you know, less disheartened about the future of our democracy um because i know that there are people like you out there who are you know following behind but not just following behind in many ways leading the way um and i just it makes me so happy and so i don't want to say proud because that makes me sound like an old mom but like it just it fills my heart with hope and optimism and that's so hard to come by these days so thank you for that Jojo, thank you. Thank you for all that you do and 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 i'm so grateful to be able to know you to be able to come on your show to call you a friend just thank you. Well, I don't think we could end it any better than that. That does it for this episode of Are You Effing Kidding Me uh, with Jojo from Jers. And uh, I hate almost swearing around Victor, even though it's not really swearing because I feel like a dirty old lady. But uh, <laughs> there you have it. So see you guys next Saturday. We'll have an all new podcast. And um, I hope you uh, have a great week. Thank you, Victor. Thank you.
right. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me. And if you are listening to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast, make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe below. Are You Effing Kidding Me is a production of the Political Voices Network. Please visit us at politicalvoicesnetwork.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.